You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This episode is all about eating to improve our metabolic health, how nutrition impacts our metabolism, foods that support fat loss, and so much more. I think you're going to be absolutely blown away. Now, we have one of the leading experts in the understanding of nutritional science, immune function, and metabolic health for us on this episode. And again, I think you're going to be absolutely blown away, but make sure to stay tuned until after the interview is over because I'm going to be sharing some new research on how our immune system is deeply influencing our metabolism. And this is an important conversation today because obviously immune function, immune health is of the utmost importance in kind of the public domain, but also our metabolic health is suffering mightily. So how do these two things marry together? And most importantly, what can we do to improve all of the above? That's what we're digging into today. And to just give you a little heads up on one of those powerhouse sources of nutrition that we're going to talk more in depth about in the episode, but I wanted to just give a highlight because this is something that I utilize on a regular basis. A study published in the European Journal of Nutrition uncovered that compounds in turmeric can downregulate inflammatory cytokines. Inflammation is a huge contributor to excess body weight, by the way, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But they also found that the compounds found in turmeric were able to upregulate the activity of adiponectin. Again, we're going to talk about this in this episode, adiponectin and other satiety-related hormones. This combination, this equation with our satiety and hunger hormones obviously has a huge influence on our body weight and our metabolic health. And so compounds in turmeric are now clinically proven to not only reduce inflammation and the inflammatory aspect of what's happening with our fat cells as they're expanding, but also helping to upregulate the activity of adiponectin, a satiety hormone, and other satiety hormones. Additionally, turmeric has been found clinically to improve insulin sensitivity, reduce blood fats, and directly act upon our fat cells. Plus, research published in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology points to turmeric's potential in reducing the severity of brain inflammation and helping to reduce both anxiety and depression, so even affecting our mood. This is so special. It's been utilized for thousands of years. Today, more important than ever is making sure that if we're utilizing something like turmeric, getting it from a great source. And the turmeric complex that I utilize, because turmeric isn't just standalone in its performance. Historically, it's always utilizing biopotentiators and other compounds from other foods together. That's what the concept of a curry, for example, is going to be. But in particular, there are compounds in black pepper that have been shown to improve the assimilation and utilization of turmeric and curcumin and other compounds in turmeric to help to actually get these processes that we're talking about, these benefits we're talking about, to get more from the turmeric itself. And so this turmeric complex is designed in a way to actually help us to up-level our ability to utilize turmeric to its fullest capacity. And I'm talking about the turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. 
Go to paleovalley.com forward slash model and you'll get 15% off their incredible turmeric complex and all of their other top tier human health and performance supplements. They're doing things the right way. Their turmeric complex is all organic and there's no binders, no fillers, nothing nefarious, just done the right way. High quality. And it's one of the things I utilize, again, on a regular basis. So you get 15% off when you go to paleovalley.com forward slash model. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash model. For 15% off, head over there, check them out. Take advantage of this fat loss supportive nutrient source. paleovalley.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Big Heart Meets Big Facts by Kinsey Field. Not only does Sean bring the highest levels of integrity and intelligence, but he has a beautiful heart. His way of bringing truth to light to empower and uplift is quite frankly unlike any other person I've encountered. Yes, I've learned tremendously eye-opening information around health from Sean, but more than that, he has helped shape the person I've become and how I show up in the world. His unwavering dedication to truth Compassion and impact is literally changing our world one listener at a time. Like so many of us, he comes from a background of odds stacked against him. He teaches us there is a better way available. Forever grateful I found this podcast all those years ago. Thank you for what you're doing in this world. Wow, I am filled with emotion right now. That is so profound. Thank you so much for seeing me and thank you so much for acknowledging my heart. And I appreciate you so much for being a part of this mission. And again, thank you for leaving this review over on Apple Podcasts. If you yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Dr. William Lee is a physician, scientist, New York Times bestselling author, and the president and medical director of the Angiogenesis Foundation. His groundbreaking research has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments that impact care for more than 70 diseases, including diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. He's appeared on countless major media outlets, including Good Morning America, CNBC, Rachel Ray, Live with Kelly and Ryan. He's also been featured in USA Today, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, O Magazine, and so much more. And now he's back here on the Model Health Show to talk about metabolic health and fat loss. Let's dive into this conversation with the amazing Dr. William Lee. Such an honor. This is our third time doing a show together. Many offline conversations as well. But I got you here, Dr. William Lee. It's so good to see you. Thanks very much. Great to be here and that we're together. Yes, yes. So I'm just so blown away by your new book. And it's, it's a topic that's obviously a big part of our kind of social lexicon, diet. And you really kind of deconstruct even our diet paradigm today. And I'm not saying that this is an anti-diet book, but by saying eat to beat your diet is quite a big statement. I'll tell you, it is an anti-diet book. I wrote it because I really don't abide by diets myself. I, I don't like them. I think that they're fads, trends, unsustainable things. And um, so that's actually what I deliberately wrote this about is like, what is everything we need to know that would allow us not to have to go on a diet? I love, this is what I love about you. You're like, you're going to do the thing. Like you're actually calling it out and talking about the thing. And in a moment, we're going to go through some of the top foods that actually support fat loss by cutting off the nutrient supply to fat cells. 
But first, let's start off by talking about how fat cells actually grow. Right. Well, look, fat is an actual term that elicits some pretty negative responses, right? I mean, if you think about it, when you hear the word fat, it's in your mind, it automatically turns into something that's not so positive. Even if you walk in a grocery store and you walk by the butcher cabinet and you see the, the fat on the rind around the steak, like it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of gross, right? And the other experience that we all have associated with fat, and this is, I think, common to everyone, all of us take a shower in the morning, step out naked and out of the corner of our eye, we see in a mirror, a little lump or a bump that wasn't there before, or we don't think belongs there. And you automatically think, man, I got to, I got to do something about that. I got to eat better. I got to work out or whatever it is. Then you step on the scale and that number doesn't deliver what you expect. It's a disappointment. So all around this whole idea of fat body fat is kind of a, in our society become quite a negative thing. But I'm actually here to tell you that there's a completely different way, a more, I think, liberating way, more powerful way to look at fat. It has to do with biology because I'm a scientist. What scientists do is we are interested in looking at the origins of things. So where does fat come from, right? Like fat doesn't just automatically come up when we're adult and we want to actually lose some weight. Turns out what's amazing is that fat forms when we're in the womb. So when your mom's egg met your dad's sperm, all the cells emerged. First tissue that got laid down were blood vessels because every future organ needs a circulation. Second, nerves started forming because every organ needs a channel to receive signals on what the organ should do. The third tissue is little bubbles of fat. They're called adipocytes, little fat cells, and they form like bubble wrap around every blood vessel. Now, the reason is fat cells are not actually bad. They're good. They're actually fuel tanks, just like the tank in your car, and they wrap themselves around blood vessels because when you eat food and you get energy, the energy comes through the blood and it gets stored into the fuel tank, right? So it makes a lot of sense. Now, that means that we had body fat before we had a face we could stuff with food. Very important to think about. I mean, mind-blowing to think about, really. Yeah. Now, when you're born, think about it. A cute baby. How do you know there's a cute, healthy baby? It's pudgy, it's chubby, it's fat, round, right? Big chubby cheeks, round tummy, arms and legs are like balloons, you know, like that circus balloon twist into a poodle, right? So fat babies are considered healthy babies. So fat's actually good at the moment we're born. And in fact, if you saw a baby that had chiseled cheekbones, thin arms, long thin thighs, like a fashion model, you, you go like, well, there's something seriously wrong with this baby. And you'd be right. And that's the key thing. Fat is important in our origins. It starts before we were born. And so the real new science about fat and the new science about your metabolism tracks back into this origin. So the question is, what does fat do? Why do we even have it? And why is it important? Yeah. Oh, man, it's so fascinating. I love this because we have to reframe something that has been so vilified in our culture and in some aspects, rightfully so. But if we don't, Oftentimes we're, we're fighting against something we don't understand and also trying to hate our way into fitness. And so creating a new relationship and, and value and understanding with fat has been a big mission of mine as well. And, yet, and I know, again, having someone like you as an ally in this, because it really starts with education. 
And now we get into a place, so we know the, the beginning, the origins of fat and why it's so valuable. It's helped us to evolve as a species and not need to have like a funnel of food going in all the time because fat is there to do its job. Now let's talk about what happens when we become, quote, over fat or fat cells begin to grow abnormally. How does that process work? How are fat cells growing in the first place? Does this have something to do with that first thing that develops, blood vessels? Yeah, so let me kind of put a little story together first to talk about how good fat, how fat helps us. And that's really the best way to start, I think, this conversation is, what is fat doing? Why do we need it? Why does it form so early? And it actually has completely to do with our metabolism which is what my book, new book is really about. It's not a diet book. It's really a metabolism book. And it's really the new science of the metabolism. So to, to break it down and to, to understand why excess fat is so damaging to our health and compromises our fitness, let's, let's reel it back just a little bit to say, okay, how does uh, normal fat, first of all, what does normal fat do? Normal fat, first I mentioned to you, is a fuel tank. It literally is a canister, a jerry can, to be able to store fuel that we eat. Just like if you had a car and you're driving around, you need your engine to run smoothly on gasoline. What do you do? You look at the fuel gauge. When your fuel gauge runs low, runs towards empty, you pull over to the filling station, pull out the nozzle, put plug it into the car and press the handle and you actually fill up the tank. When the tank is filled, there's a click and that's it. And you put it back and you drive off with a full tank, right? So our, car, our body is kind of like a car engine. That's how our metabolism works how it actually gets energy. And so the engine of our body needs fuel the same way as a car. Now, when our fuel gauge, which we sense in our brain, runs low, all right, what do we do? We don't go to the filling station. We pull over to the dinner table, to the restaurant, to the refrigerator, the pantry, right? That's how we actually pull over. And we, put the no we, we load up on fuel. Our fuel is food, all right? That's our energy. Some people call it calories. I don't want people to get distracted on the whole topic of calories because this becomes such a fixation. But we just call it calories, um, but let's call it fuel. And so what happens is that we, when we eat, the fuel goes into our body and our body produces a hormone called insulin. Insulin is a hormone that basically says, oh, you got some fuel? You're eating? Let's pull that energy to, to, into our function so we have enough fuel, just like you would when you're fill, filling up a car. And then anything extra that you don't need at that moment to keep running your body, your engine, it gets stored away. And it's, it's smart that we're storing it away because when we're not eating, we need to draw down from it, right? It's our, it's our storage. So where does it store it? It stores it in body fat. So what does it do? It takes those uh, food that we eat, goes into our stomach, absorbed in our bloodstream, that energy, the fuel actually is stored with insulin's help into little fat cells. Those little fat cells with a bubble wrap that form when we were in our mom's womb. Okay, and it just stores up, it's loaded up. Okay, it's our fuel tanks. Now, when we actually are not eating, when our insulin goes down, our body normally can draw down from that extra fuel and it reaches for the fuel tanks. It just empties it out. Normal fat cells are not big, they're tiny. And when you load them up, they get a little bit bigger. It's like a water balloon that you fill up halfway and then you stop. You can just squirt that water, you can draw it out from that water. But what happens when you overeat? It's like going to the filling station and imagine if you were pumping gas and that clicker didn't stop the gas from flowing when your tank is full. Imagine what would happen, right? Gas keeps on pumping up, gas tank fills up, but now it continues to overflow 
gas comes out of the side, runs out of the side, around the tires, around your shoes, and now you are standing in this dangerous, flammable mess. Now, in our bodies, when we're fueling up, we don't have the clicker to stop us from eating. So we can keep on eating, all right? And we can overload and overfill our tanks. In our body, it doesn't run down around our shoes. What happens, our body has to pack it away in fat. So those little fat cells get bigger and bigger and bigger. They get stretched to their max, all right? And if you keep on eating and you still got more fuel, guess what? The body's got to make more fuel tanks. Now you take stem cells and you make another fuel tank, let a fat cell, and that gets filled up and you still got more fat, got to make another one. Keep on cloning it. And that's why overeating, overloading your, our bodies with fuel, that habit that too many people practice. I mean, it's a kind of a hallmark of modern society and lots of other complexities, right? It's a, there's a psychological component. There's um, all kinds of marketing forces that can actually make us do this. Overloads our body. And so then the fat actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, what's the connection to blood vessels? Well, fat is an actual organ in the body. And it means it needs a blood supply. So, um, and I'll tell you why it's an organ in a second, but it needs a blood supply. And so when fat starts to clone itself because you need more fuel tanks, because you got too much fuel and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and it starts to fill up more and more, the faster it grows, the more blood supply it needs. But if it can't grow its own blood supply quickly enough, what happens is that in this giant expanding mass, the center of that mass is starved of oxygen. It starts to die. It's called hypoxia, not enough oxygen, all right? And when that happens, the fat becomes inflamed. Inflammatory cells infiltrate that fat. And we see this even in cancers that are trying to expand. They can't grow enough of a blood supply. It starts to die in the middle. Once you have inflammation and not in hypoxia inside a mass of fat, you completely derail your metabolism. And you derail many other hormonal systems as well. And it sets you up for harm. So the answer to your question, what happens and why does it happen? And what's the connection to blood vessels? That's a simple way to think about the fact that when we eat, we're loading up our fuel. When we overeat, we have to keep on loading it up and it's going to create more fat. When that fat grows too big, it's going to start to die in the middle of the mass. Can't grow enough blood supply. It starts to kind of go bad, hypoxic. And that starts to trigger to all kinds of problems downstream. This is fascinating. So again, this is something we see experientially on the surface, but to understand what's happening with our fat cells. So number one, they're getting filled up with content, right? And so they're expanding their volume and our fat cells can actually expand their volume hundreds of times their size. But at a point, they're going to start to replicate as well. So that's talking about the stem cells, which we'll get more into in this episode for sure. And so now we're making copies, but all of these blood vessels, so we've got the filling up of content, but with the blood vessels, they also need to create more blood vessels, angiogenesis. That's right. So they can get a uh, fuel supply, an oxygen supply, nutrient supply, so that they can keep growing in the first place. Exactly. Now, the question is, with this process happening, with them just pulling in more and more fuel and growing in size, are there foods that can actually restrict these fat cells from growing slash cut off their nutrient supply so they won't continue to get as big. Yeah. Before we talk about fuels, let me just sort of foods. Let me just say that actually our body has its own kind of like regulatory switch. So here's the thing. We talked about insulin that rises in the body as a response to eating, basically 
food's coming in, energy's coming in, your body senses it, it makes this hormone, um, insulin, and insulin actually helps to draw that energy into regular cells as well as store, store it into fat. Now, here's something really important about normal healthy fat. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about normal healthy because understanding the normal allows us to understand the abnormal. We just jump to kind of like the, the demon, all right? Then you miss the good guy part of it, right? So this is like, a, you know, kind of like a, it's not black and white. There's a transition where fat is good until there's too much of it and then it, and then it actually becomes harmful. And what we want to do is respect our fat and tame it, not vilify it and not try to cut it out, suck it out, you know, and poison it. So normal fat I mentioned is an organ and that organ is an endocrine organ. It's actually like a thyroid, like a pancreas, like an adrenal gland. And this is quite amazing to think about fat as an actual organ. And it releases about 13 different hormones. All right. Hormones are just proteins that are made released by an organ, go into the bloodstream, and they go elsewhere in the body to help to control different kinds of functions. So one of the things that fat does as an organ, it releases leptin. Leptin is sort of an appetite regulator. Turns up and turns down your appetite, depending on the number, about the volume. So it controls your behavior, okay? And the reason I'm mentioning this is that, you know what? When the leptin is high and it turns down your appetite, you don't want to eat so much. Guess what? Less fuel. Less need to keep storing that stuff in. Number one. Number two, it produces a super powerful hormone called adiponectin. Now, many people may not know this term, adiponectin, but if I were to draw your blood, Sean, take it to a lab, ordinary hospital lab, and measure all the hormones in your body, your adiponectin levels, and mine, by the way, would be 1,000 times higher than any other hormone in your body, higher than your thyroid, higher than your testosterone, higher than any other organ. And the reason is adiponectin is what allows insulin to pull that energy in to your cells. It's another hormone made by fat, by good, healthy fat. We need that fat to, make, to get our energy, our basic energy. All right. Now, there's one more hormone I want to talk about. It's called resistin, made by fat. And resistin basically is the break to the gas pedal of adiponectin. So if adiponectin at a thousand times higher than any other hormone in your body, helps insulin pull fuel into your body, into your cells. Resistant is the break to basically say, oh, whoa, let's, a little, let's slow down a little bit. Normal balance, right? So the life is all about balance. Adiponectin, resistant, leptin. These are just three of the hormones in normal, healthy fat. Here's the thing. When you've got too much fuel that needs to be packed up and those fat cells get hundreds of times bigger and then they replicate and stem cells make more and more fat, and they get bigger and they get hypoxic in the middle and they start dying because they can't get enough blood supply. What happens is that inflammation actually derails your normal fat's ability to produce these hormones. Leptin gets screwed up. Now you, can, you don't know if you're hungry or not. You can keep on eating. It's worse. Okay. Now you can keep on loading more fuel. Your adiponectin gets screwed up. So now, even though you're eating and you've got all this energy, now your body can't pull it into the cells, doesn't even store it very well. And then the resistant goes haywire. So basically, it doesn't know if it actually should slow it down or speed it up. And so basically, it's kind of like uh, uh, over um, as, as excess fat grows, it's basically like creating chaos and air, air traffic control. Nobody knows where to land the planes. And so this causes even more chaos. So the important thing is how do we actually tame that excess fat? 
And so the body can do some of it by itself. Like our, our body is hardwired to know how to tame fat to some extent, not if it goes too crazy. But secondly, and this is sort of like the surprise, is that there are certain foods that can do it as well. But the, how your body does it is actually incredibly important because when we're not eating, okay, fasting, when we're not eating, like when we're sleeping, all right, insulin goes down and our body basically says, oh, when the insulin's down, we can burn fuel. When insulin's up, can't burn the fuel, can't tap into those fat uh, cells, fuel cells. When insulin's down, like when we're sleeping, it goes, all right, not eating. We need to pull into, we need to draw into our fuel cells. Let's pull some energy out. And it starts to actually burn extra fuel by burning extra fat. So when we're sleeping, our body's hardwired, as our metabolism is hardwired to start burning down extra fuel. And this is really kind of the basis of thinking about intermittent fasting, uh, you know, timed eating. You know, the longer we give our body's natural metabolism, our hardwiring to burn that fuel, the better it is. Now, it turns out that certain foods, and this is the big surprise that I write about in Eat to Be Your Diet, certain foods can amplify that effect, not just when you're sleeping, but even when you're eating. Mm. So it's an override. You can actually use food to override that system. So even though your body's not supposed to be burning that energy, it goes, let's, just, let's go ahead and burn some ener energy anyway. It's fascinating. Fascinating. One of the things that I love about your work and your book is that you're reframing food as well, because a lot of times we see food as an enemy and you're saying food is not the enemy. It's actually the solution. You know, food is a big contributor to so many of our problems. If we're talking about obesity, we're talking about excess fat gain, and it's also the solution, right? And so choosing intelligent foods, because that's the thing, these foods, it's not just food, it's information. And there's an intelligence underlying all of this stuff and how it's influencing our metabolism. So at this point, let's get into, and circling back to my initial question, when talking about the growth of our fat cells and angiogenesis, the creation of those new blood vessels, let's talk about first in this fat loss equation, what are some foods that have anti-angiogenesis properties that can help to cut off that nutrient supply to fat cells? Well, this actually goes all the way back to my research in the late 1980s. I was super interested in finding ways to fight cancer by cutting off the blood supply. So I worked in a lab and we were, we were looking at, uh, before pharmaceuticals were developed, biopharmaceuticals were developed for this area, we were looking for natural sources. And we're looking for anything in nature that could give us a clue of how nature might provide a natural chemical that could cut off the blood supply to cancers. Now we knew actually, even back then, like licorice could do it, stuff in licorice could actually cut off the blood supply to tumors, feeding extra cells from, that you don't want to be You're growing. not talking about Twizzlers. I'm not talking about Twizzlers. I'm actually talking about licorice. And it turns out that there's a natural chemical found in licorice called isoliquitrin. All right. Now, as a researcher, one of the things that we're able to do is to know something's in a natural compound, take it out, and test it in a lab. We tested isoliquitrin on blood vessels that are grown to feed harmful cells like tumors, like tumor blood vessels. And it actually powerfully stopped those extra blood vessels. But the thing that really brought it home for me, and I've never forgotten this, is a research study that was done by a Greek researcher working in Switzerland. His name was Ted Fotsis, and he looked at the urine of villagers 
outside of Kyoto, Japan. These villagers were all vegetarians. They ate mostly soy, okay? And, and he had frozen jars of this urine. And his boss, his supervisor said, you know, go find something interesting to do with the urine or toss it out. So he went to look for hormones inside the urine, thinking that he was a hormone, he was an endocrinologist. So he was interested in looking at hormones. When he ran the urine underneath this thing called a mass spectrometry, okay, you see these spikes. And he found a spike that didn't belong in the human. And it only came from the soybean. And it was a spike of genistein. So he cut out that spike, which we can do in the lab, and he tested it on blood vessels that would be feeding cancer. It immediately stopped those blood vessels from growing. And so this was to discover that genistein found in plant-based foods like soybeans could actually be anti-androgenic and they could cut off the blood supply feeding cancers. Really was a mind-blowing discovery. And I read this, uh, and, I, and I know Ted Fosis, we had this conversation about it and it was absolutely amazing to think about what other secrets might be in food that could help to control the blood vessels. Now, now remember earlier, we talked about the fact that growing fat needs extra blood vessels. Right, so it's trying to grow those blood vessels. If you deliberately cut off the blood vessels to that are feeding fat, all right, it'll actually shrink the tube. It'll shrink tumors and it also shrink fat. Mm. So although the tumor wants to grow more blood vessels and it can't, so it starts to die in the middle. If you then step in and do an intervention to really cut off the blood vessels, that fat mass will shrink. And this has been shown very conclusively in the lab that this can actually happen. Green tea, another the catechins EGCG. Powerful anti-androgenic can cut off the blood supply feeding tumors. Can cut off the blood supply feeding fat as well. So, one of the reasons I really came up to this whole idea of body fat is not only my background in this research, thinking about well, maybe fat growing the way that we talked about, cloning itself, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, hypoxic in the middle. That to me resembles a tumor exactly. And so the question is, could we tame the tumor by taming the blood supply? And I remembered the work that was done earlier, and it turns out that many of the foods that I wrote about in my first book that are anti-angiogenic, my first book being Eat to Beat Disease, More Than 300 Foods, the whole chapter on anti-angiogenic cancer-starving foods, blood vessel-taming foods, and I started to realize here was this whole opportunity to look at ways of taming our body fat as well, and the epidemiological study supports it. Wow. So the thing is, first and foremost, these foods have been around for thousands of years and utilized by humans to great success. Today, however, you know, our diets obviously have, have been altered so much. Ultra processed foods is now the norm. And if you think about something like green tea and how many remarkable health benefits it has now at another check to its box, to its boxes of benefits, which is supporting fat loss potentially. But one that is a little controversial here is soybeans. Now, I want to ask you, the benefit seen here with potential cutting off that nutrient supply to fat cells and cancer cells with soybeans seen in the data, are these soybeans the same thing as like eating a tofurkey? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm so glad you brought up that the normative status of ultra-processed foods. You know, a tofurkey could be really kind of a, ultra, considered an ultra-processed food, right? Just like a lot of these uh, plant-based meats that are very carefully engineered to taste like meat, but they're, they're actually manipulated in a factory to be able to do so. The controversy really about um, soy is, I think it's an urban legend is really what it is. 
um, this idea that, remember I told you the guy who was looking for this, he was studying hormones. And so he looked at genistein. He found this thing in soy because it's a phytoestrogen. So phytoestrogen means plant estrogen. And, you know, many people uh, believed for a long time that because some human breast cancers are stimulated by estrogen, that maybe soy would be dangerous because it has a phytoestrogen. Well-intentioned, I think perfectly natural connecting dots, except not scientifically correct. And, and this is where I come in as a scientist and as a doctor. I can tell you, if you looked at the chemical structure of human estrogen that could fuel breast cancer development, and you looked at phytoestrogen, plant estrogen from soybeans, they don't look anything alike. All right. They're two separate chemicals. And in fact, the plant estrogen will actually block the human estrogen. It's kind of like Mother Nature's tamoxifen, which is used to block human estrogen. And in fact, all the human studies, all the lab studies, all the epidemiological studies show that women who eat more soy and the women who are at the highest risk for breast cancer uh, problems are the women who already have breast cancer, that the more soy they eat, they eat, the lower their mortality. All right. And so this is completely opposite to what we think. Um, I want to kind of clarify this. Phytoestrogens are not like human estrogens. They block human estrogens in a beneficial way. And so these, this well-intentioned connection that led to this urban legend that soy is dangerous actually just isn't true. Got it. Now let's dissect soy, like what form we're eating the soy in versus soy dogs, soy milk, soy everything, you know, soy nuggets, soy in tof tofurkey, the list goes on and on. Ultra processed versions versus what? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this is something that we need to uh, all be very aware of now. Everyone knows that plant-based foods are healthier for you, but just because they come from a plant doesn't mean that they're necessarily healthy for you, right? And so you can take soy as a filler, as an additive, put it into a factory, mix it into all this, all this other kind of stuff, and, and, and ultra-process it. That doesn't make it a healthy uh, choice, doesn't make it a healthy ingredient, let's, let's call it. I would say this whole idea of whole foods, minimally processed uh, foods. I mean, if you make tofu, tofu, either firm tofu, silky tofu, you know, the Asian traditions of making to tofu, that, it, that's also kind of processing, but it's very light processing. You don't actually have to extrude it and do all kinds of other things and mix it, mill it with other uh, ingredients. So I encourage everyone to think, you know, uh, even if you uh, are espousing or you're seeing a label of something that says plant-based, must be good for you, and you think must be good for you, look at the ingredient labels. Think about that product you're holding in your hand, if it's a nugget, if it's uh, something you're popping in a microwave or a toaster oven, is that ultra processed? Does it come from a box or a can? Look at the ingredient label. Is it mi clearly mixed with other things so that it really no, no longer resembles the actual whole food that originated from? That should raise a red flag. Yeah, red flag. I love that. Red flag alert. And having that bias because what's happening today is health washing, you know, where we have a plant-based moniker. And then so that's like all systems go or free will on all these different products. And marketers are taking advantage of, you know, a well-intentioned uh, drive towards health. Now, in this context, so you mentioned uh, traditionally made tofu. What about fermented soy products? Fermented soy products are also uh, uh, another continuum 
of minimal processing because you're letting nature kind of process it, exposing the temperature and bacteria and changing its nature. I mean, fermented soy, soy paste, soy beans, uh, 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 miso, miso. Oh, amazing! And also some of those Korean spicy uh, uh, pastes like gochujang. You know, like mm. amazing, right? Those are firm, those are actually probiotic soy products that are minimally processed, and they're actually wonderful condiments or wonderful accompaniments actually to to food. So, again, you know, I think buyer beware. All these kinds of you know, from whole food to ultra processed, the continuum. Yeah. Uh, sort of take a look at the fact that minimal processing means that you're sort of letting nature um, present itself to you either in a completely un manipulated way to naturally or minimally manipulating. I mean, you know, look, if you, if you cook food, you're processing it, you know, and when you put it into a pan, you're processing it. So the, the key is that minimal processing is really not changing the fundamental nature. And that's what humans have been doing forever. Exactly. Ultra processing is, you know, taking something that originates in the form of corn and it ends up being lucky charms. You know, there's so many things, so many processes that it's no longer remotely connected to its origins. And you know, by the way, one of the things I write about in my new book that I'm so excited by is this idea that we should be looking at our historical past and how people actually encountered food, exchanged food, uh, experienced food, uh, to really recognize where some of the healthiest foods are available, hidden in plain sight. And maybe not even hidden, like we're actually partaking in them, but without appreciating the long history of healthy tradition. And so I, I taught, there's a whole chapter I read about as a term that um, I use when I'm asked how I eat. Like people come to me and say, Dr. Lee, how do you actually eat? Like, what kind of diet are you on? And I basically say, I'm not on a diet. I don't, I don't really go for diets, um, but I do have a way of eating. My way, my approach of eating, I call Mediterranean. And Mediterranean is really how I naturally do it. Like I have a Chinese background. I grew up eating Asian food. I lived in the Mediterranean in Italy and Greece. Uh, I've traveled there many, many times. So whenever I have an uh, opportunity to choose food, I naturally gravitate for something in those genres. Mm -hmm. They're delicious. They're, they, they come from the healthiest traditions. What's interesting is although I write in the book as sort of a new term, Mediterranean, it turns out that 2,000 years ago, people are already doing this. And, and med the Mediterranean and Asian were connected by the Silk Road, the greatest trading route in human history. Uh, you know, covered thousands of miles, they're desert caravans. And along the way, people from the Mediterranean and people from Asia met each other and they exchanged their food. They cooked together. They saw each other along the way and they were carrying food from their own homelands uh, uh, to, to, sh to share and, and distribute and sell to other people. And so again, as you say, we've been doing this for thousands of years, literally. Wow, I love that, that the connection with the Silk Road. This could be called the Silky Diet. Silky you know, um, I love this so much. And so when you talked earlier about your research in cancer and the angiogenesis phenomenon and then finding anti-angiogenesis properties in a variety of foods, the first thing I thought about was turmeric because that's one of the things just, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was just shocked to see that there was data on this. I didn't know that that was a thing, that this could be effective in in, in, in this conversation about cancer, is that something that's going to apply with fat loss as well, if we're talking about turmeric? Yeah. So, you know, uh, turmeric has a natural chemical called curcumin, 
And again, I'm a scientist, so leave the you know the tongue twisters to me. Uh, but just know that we've actually discovered some of the specific uh, uh, actives, bioactives that are in these foods. Powerful antiangiogenic, but you know a lot of these antiangiogenic substances like uh, curcumin in turmeric, or like genistein in soy, or the catechins in tea. As it turns out, they also directly help to manipulate our body to be able to burn body fat, which is really interesting. So this is sort of like multiple job descriptions, multitaskers. And that's the amazing thing that research is discovering. You know, like I study food as medicine now. Food is medicine, uh, just like medicines, like we discover aspirin treats headache. Oh, wait a minute, it actually can help to thin your blood and actually helps to you know, prevent heart attack and that kind of stuff. So we're beginning to rediscover that in Mother Nature's pharmacy with an F, not a PH, that, that what she has imbued in, our, in the foods, the whole foods that we have, are all these natural chemicals that, that have multiple tasks in our body. And when it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food, it's about how our body responds to what you put inside it and what those chemicals are actually activating, those pathways, the domino effects that they trigger once we actually eat them. And some of the foods that actually cut off the blood supply to fat and cancers also turn on the engine of our metabolism to burn down harmful body fat. It's, it's just like, it's not a one-trick pony. No. Like an isolated thing, you know, the pharmacological method of looking at things today. That food, food, food has so many other benefits. You know, I, I call food, like whole foods. As we're going this research, and you know, as a food and medicine guy, researcher, these foods that we're discovering are like Swiss Army knives. All mm. right, they got all kinds of little new tricks that you didn't realize. Pull something out, it can do this and it can do that. Oh wait a minute, there's another tool in there too. Oh my gosh, let's keep on pulling and discovering. That's why you know I think that you know in a health and wellness space, there there are lots and lots of people talking about some real research, exciting research. We're talking about longevity, you know, uh, we're talking about better aging, we're talking about all kinds of different aspects of uh, vitality, uh, we're talking about metabolism. The key thing is not to oversell it, all right? And to realize that we're still at the beginning of this discovery, but the, even at the beginning, what we're finding is like, it's like opening the, 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 the shades of your window. Like, it's jaw-dropping, it's mind-blowing what it is our foods can do for us if we make wise choices. Yeah. Yeah. Now in the book, you talk about the five defense systems, which you did in your first book, but now it's related to metabolism. And I love how you connected each and every one of these. Let's go through a few of them. One of them is the regeneration system. So let's talk about the regeneration system in regards to metabolism. Okay. Regeneration and metabolism is very, very important. And it actually starts with body fat, the healthy, normal body fat, because when we're born, we have, you know, our bodies are formed with stem cells. When we're born, we have our excess stem cells that uh, we didn't need to form ourselves. It's kind of like extra cans of paint that you bought to finish repainting a house. You always have some overage, right? So how much overage do we have in our stem cells at birth? About 75 million extra stem cells, all right? And what they do is that when we're born, cut the cord, Right? This is why people talk about uh, umbilical cord stem cells. Okay, you can harvest that if you want, but the body already has 75 million extras. And so your body immediately begins packing those stem cells away. 
most of them go into our bone marrow, which is like the hollow center of our all of our bones. And a lot of stem cells live there like bees in a hive. But the other place that uh, the, the stem cells go to is a little in our skin. Uh, there's a little bit scattered in our heart and our brains. I mean, there's stem cells in a lot of places, um, uh, but our, our body fat also has a lot of stem cells. And the reason is because those stem cells help our body create new fuel cells if we need more containers for extra fuel, right? It's kind of a survival thing over evolution. So stem cells are, we, we've known for a long time, by the way, the stem cells in fat are called ASCs, uh, um, adipose stromal cells. I spend a lot of time working in this space mm-hmm. um, uh, and for a really interesting way that I write about in my book, um, we really don't want stem cells in our fat to create much more extra fat. We don't need that most of it, most of the time. However, to study it, one of the things that some really, really brilliant cardiologists did is they were wondering, could we be borrowing those stem cells from body fat and using them somewhere else? Because stem cells are what we call context dependent. So if they're in fat, they'll make more fat. But if they're in another tissue, they'll make other tissues. So the cardiologist says, what if you put them in a heart? All right. So can you imagine a cardiologist working with a plastic surgeon? Plastic surgeon does liposuction, sucks out the fat. All right. Now, what do you do with this can, this jar of liposuction fat? I'll tell you as a researcher, I'll kind of like take away all the mystery on this. You put a little enzyme in there. Enzyme kind of dissolves the fat up and releases the releases the cells from the separates the cells from the fat. You put it in something called a centrifuge. It spins around, all right. And when round and round she goes, and what happens is that the stem cells go to the bottom of the tube, and the fat floats to the top of the tube, as fat should. And then when you stop the spinner, you pour off the fat, and now you got a tube with stem cells at the bottom. The plastic surgeon hands this tube to the cardiologist who takes these stem cells, puts it in a catheter, okay, and then snakes it through your groin up into your heart of somebody who has heart disease and pops it right into the heart. So now stem cells from your fat go into your heart and guess what happens? It grows new heart tissue. It grows blood vessels to feed the heart. Amazing. Not ready for prime time yet. This is not the strip mall, inject it in your knee kind of stem cell. This is like, I've been involved with this and still involved with it. It's amazing to see some of the early success, not ready for prime time yet. Okay. There's a lot more work needs to be done, but amazing. So one of the things I wanted to write about in the book though, to show you just how powerful this is, I didn't want to talk about the heart part of it. This was my jaw dropper when I looked at it. Somebody did the same process uh, of taking out liposuction fat, separating those stem cells in a young person near their thirties who was paralyzed from a neck injury, quadriplegic can't move their arms, can't move their legs, paralyzed, game over, right? In terms of like, I mean, uh, it's a whole lifetime, 30 years, a lifetime of, of, of uh, disability, a serious disability. So uh, this was a f- patient in one, a clinical trial where they took his own fat stem cells and put them in a brand new place. They took him out of his fat, isolated him, and injected his fat stem cells into his spinal cord, right where it was broken, severed. And guess what? It grew new spinal cord. And pretty soon he started to be able to move his arms and his legs. Yeah. Unbelievable. So stem cells live, reside in fat, absolutely powerful. 
And so you don't want to be, you can't be removing those stem cells, but there are certain foods you can eat that can actually prevent or slow down those stem cells from cloning themselves into a new, brand new fat. So there's a dietary way to control it as well. You don't have to remove it and, and give them to another doctor. You can actually eat foods that will actually contain it. Things like olive oil has a, uh, has a substance called hydroxytyrosol, slows down adipose stromal stem cells mm-hmm. from growing and cloning themselves. Omega-3, marine omega-3 fatty acid you find in seafood or dietary supplements also do the same thing. Lycopene found in tomatoes, okay? Uh, and um, uh, watermelon is an example, which is also says lycopene, um, will actually kind of reprogram the stem cells to basically say, you know what? If you're thinking about making more fat, don't do it. Mm, don't do it. I love that so much. I made a note in that particular chapter, another one of those foods that you mentioned was goji berries. Goji berries also can actually reprogram stem cells. And goji berries, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's one, of the, it's one of those continuum, like, you know, you hear, these days you hear a lot about these medicinal um, foods that have been used in Asia for years, like cordyceps mushrooms, which I saw in the marketplace the other day, really cool. Um, but goji berries are something uh, very common as an herbal medicine. And I think that one of the things that we need to remember is that when we're borrowing and exploring uh, fascinating food substances that have been used traditionally for thousands of years as medicine in other cultures. We should be just a little cautious that this doesn't mean that we can just be playing around with the substance. But goji berries, you know, which I, you know, I love to put goji berries in tea. Um, if you if you mix it with goji berries with tea, put a date, you know, a dried date in there. Uh, put some uh, chrysanthemum flower in there. You kind of create this really nice herbal tea. Tea, you can put um, oolong tea or black tea. You know, so you can you can you can actually find ways to um, extract some of these natural substances. Goji berries have um, bioactives like uh, lutein and zeaxanthin, which is good for your vision. Um, but some of these substances also reprogram your fat stem cells as well. Amazing, amazing. In Chinese medicine, it's one of the definitely top five things. But traditionally, it's not like we're, we might do today, which is snacking on goji berries. It's used in teas and in, you know, being able to infuse different things together. Um, you know, for years, I would take, you know, maybe I'm doing a cordyceps tea, right? Or reishi and doing a decoction or, you know, kind of boiling it down, adding some goji berries in there. Also, they add like a nice flavor note too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As well. And goji berries are so interesting because they're one of the few plant foods in general, but in particular in the berry family, that's essentially a complete protein. You know, you're going to find all the amino acids there. It's like, that is so incredibly rare, not to mention all those other micronutrients you just mentioned. And that's what I'm saying is that instead of just buying a big bag, a sack of it and snacking on it all day long, there's great wisdom in looking back at how traditionally they actually use it, whether they cooked it in a soup. You know, I mean, you can, you can put it in a beverage, you can put it in a tea, you can also cook it in a soup, and it also lends this really um, sophisticated, interesting flavor um, to chicken soup, for example, or vegetable soup. So uh, the best the best thing about ingredients these days, uh, Sean, is that you know I write in my new book about 150 ingredients that are shown with human research studies, along with their doses of foods that can activate your metabolism, burn down harmful body fat, and act, generally activate 
your health defenses as well. For people who don't, who may encounter a, a food that I talk about that they're not really sure what to do with, the wonderful thing today is that you can go onto the internet, you can search that food on Google, put recipe, okay, and put mm -hmm. video. Click on the video and you're going to have the search results. So we'll have somebody passionate who's experienced teach you how to actually cook with it. And you'll have multiple choices and multiple videos to see. There's no more secrets on how to get you use these things, but try to go with sort of like, like learn something about how it was done for hundreds of years. Yeah. 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 I love this. This is a way we can consciously choose our bias. Okay. Cause a lot of our biases obviously are unconscious, but I'm encouraging people and as are you to create a cognitive bias on what have humans been doing the longest, right? What have our ancestors been doing to get us to this place where we are such an evolved species and our most complex, amazing brains and all these things? Because what we're doing today, you know, with according to the BMJ, about 60% of the average American's diet is ultra processed foods now. Children, it's even higher than that. And we're making our brain cells literally out of this garbage, you know, so getting a bias to where, number one, what have our ancestors done the longest? But the other thing is, how did they use these foods as well? So I love that. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. More than ever, because of our environmental stressors, we need key nutrients that help our bodies to modulate and manage and process stress. A lot of those have to do with micronutrients. Key minerals are essential in running processes to help to even modulate like shifting our nervous system from the sympathetic fight or flight dominance over to parasympathetic rest and digest recovery. We need certain key micronutrients to do that. Historically, in the last few decades, unfortunately, we turned to these shitty multivitamins that are coming from synthetic sources. That's what I was given. My grandma gave me Flintstone vitamins. All right, I'm biting off the head of Fred and Barney and Dino. And what that really is, it's sugar, synthetic micronutrients, artificial flavors, artificial colors, all of these things that are terrible for a growing, developing human brain and body. Because the emphasis here is on synthetic versions of these micronutrients. A synthetic nutrient, though it might be the same chemical makeup on paper, does not have the underlying intelligence and even more tangibly speaking, the supporting elements, the cofactors found in real food concentrations that magnify its resonance with our human cells. Let's take vitamin E, for example. This nutrient is important for healthy function of our cardiovascular system, cognitive performance, and even the health of our skin. Well, a study that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition determined that natural vitamin E from food concentrates has nearly twice the bioavailability of synthetic vitamin E. All right, so again, synthetic versions of this. So these are artificially concocted versus the whole food form and also whole food concentrate. So food-based supplementations. Now, all of my family, my kids in particular, I make sure that they're getting in a concentration of whole food-based micronutrients several times a week at minimum, most of the time every day. And for me, especially for my kids, and in particular with my youngest, I love the formulation of red juice and these kind of red blended red and blue hued superfoods and the Organifi red juice because he loves the way that it tastes, 
and it's just packed with real food nutrition. So in particular, we've got acai that's in there. And the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry found that acai actually, not just theoretically, it actually raises participants' antioxidant levels, demonstrating how effectively it's absorbed by our gut, by the human digestive system. We actually do absorb the antioxidants. It's not theoretical. There's a resonance here. And acai actually has an ORAC value of 103,000. This means that it's about 10 times the antioxidants of most fruits that you're gonna see in your produce aisle. So it's again, getting our kids growing bodies, the antioxidants in a concentrated source, but it's kid tested, parent approved, tasty, Another ingredient in that red juice blend is actually blueberry, and researchers at the University of Michigan published data finding that blueberry intake can potentially affect genes related to fat burning. Again, stacking conditions for healthy metabolism. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash model and you get 20% off their red juice blend and also their green juice blend, their incredible gold, everything that they carry actually. It's a really, really special thing that they have going on. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. You get 20% off. Again, kid tested, parent approved. Definitely for our kids, red juice is a huge winner. Now back to the show. Let's talk about another one of these five defense systems that you cover in the book. And again, pick up the book like ASAP because he breaks down and ties in these five defense systems in metabolism like none other. Uh, another one of these is the DNA protection system. Why is this important in the context of metabolism? All right. Remember I told you that when you have start growing excess body fat, one of the things that really is harmful in addition to inflammation is that, that that expanding harmful mass, uh, and, and I want to explain where that harmful mass is most harmful, is inside your body cavities. It's not under your arms, under your chin. It's not the muffin top, all right? Not in your thigh and your butt, all right? It's actually packed inside your body. So you could, be, you could look kind of skinny, or you could have a large body, but, but equally, the visceral fat, which is viscera, I mean gut, the gut fat is the really billowing, harmful, inflammatory, damaging fat correlated with terrible diseases, terrible chronic diseases. So what happens is as that grows and gets bigger and bigger, think of it like a baseball glove wrapped around your organs, just choking your organs, getting more inflammatory, right? Remember that gasoline pooling around your feet when you overfill the tank? Now you're talking about inflammatory fat wrapped around your organs. You don't want that to be going on, all right? So the thing that happens is that all these uh, that billowing fat produces a lot of free radicals, all right? And that is an pro-oxidative stress on your organs. And, and, and they're like completely surrounded, choked off uh, by, by this expanding fat. So the good news is our DNA, which is present in every single cell in our body and every organ, actually is capable of countering that damage to an extent, all right? And this is why we, at the ultimately, what we need to do is control extra body fat to protect ourselves. But we have our own three musketeers with their with their rapiers uh, and their and their um, swords, kind of defending against that. And that's like natural antioxidative protection, DNA repair mechanisms. All right, to try to fix DNA that's actually broken. By the way, uh, we know that uh, excess obesity, excess body fat, high BMI all linked to the development of cancer, right? Yeah. We know that cancer is caused by DNA mutations. 
This is the connection, yeah. all right? And we know that our body tries to protect ourselves as much as possible. It's a health defense. But at some point, it gets overwhelmed, right? Like your, your, your defenders actually are so surrounded by overwhelming forces. And that's actually when you tip over into the state of complete, um, uh, from health to chronic disease. This is why we all have an opportunity at any given point in our life to be able to combat that extra fat um, which, by the way, back to the metabolism, there's a lot of misunderstanding about metabolism because we often are told or even think about that we're born with either a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism, and that's our fate. But in fact, it's not quite so. It's in, and that our slow a slow metabolism dooms us to actually struggle with weight our whole lives. But in fact, it's that extra body fat slows down our metabolism. It's completely the other way around. So by fighting extra body fat, allowing your body to do what it wants to do while you're not eating, and by eating foods that will naturally burn down that extra fuel and shrink those extra fat cells, what we're doing is unleashing our natural, our own in, uh, operating system, the metabolism wants to actually be active in our body. And that's a good thing because it puts the power in our hands. Yeah. It's amazing how often in, in particular in your new book, but just in general, in our reality, how obesity and or excessive fat gain is connected to cancer and how the solutions or dramatically reducing the risk of all of these things all tie together and they're all found in a variety of foods and lifestyle practices. Now in the book, this is a direct quote from this particular section. You said that excess body fat creates free radicals inside your body and increases the risk for cancer-causing mutations, unquote. And you also share some of the foods that can help to boost DNA repair and protect us against excessive fat gain and excessive potential with cancer. Yeah, I mean, so many of the foods that are associated with high antioxidative properties, right? These are phytochemicals, these are um, uh, flavanols, polyphenols, all actually are able to assist us. I mean, we talked about some of them already. Green tea, actually wonderful antioxidant um, uh, properties, but it's really, think about it less as the, what you see on the label of somebody trying to sell you uh, some, you know, uh, healthy, specifically healthy tea. Um, but think about it as really just sort of boosting your natural health defenses, helping your DNA protect itself. Um, tomatoes, Watermelon, uh, those are they've got lycopene. They also are wonderful. You know, like you know how like lycopene is so powerful that if you actually have a cup of tomato juice or have a two slices of watermelon before you go out to the beach, like a couple of hours before. So have lunch, make sure you have some tomato juice or watermelon, a couple of slices of watermelon, average slices of watermelon before you go out to the beach. It'll actually protect your body from ultraviolet radiation damage from the sun that you're going to get on a beach by 60% just by having the lycopene in your system. And so this is actually how we can make some of these subtle and delicious uh, tasty choices that actually will help us as we navigate through our lives. And so it's, it's no secret, yeah. I think, that um, you know, in, in the Mediterranean, many times you have a tomato salad at lunchtime before people go back out under the, into the sun or, or to the beach. You just think about today when, you know, rates of skin cancer have just gone up exponentially in recent decades. It's just like something that was rare 
you know, earlier on in our, the history of our species, documented history, and you think about what were people doing? Because sunscreen is even a newer invention. What were people doing? How were people surviving such a, you know, a vicious thing, you know, interacting with the sun? It's through our diet, you know, because a lot of that protection is from the inside out. Yeah, well, exactly. Because sunscreen is just a thin layer in the top that you got to reapply once you get in the water or once you sweat it off. This type of protection, antioxidant protection, DNA protection from the inside out takes advantage of your 40 trillion cells, uses food to power it up even more, uh, to be more vigorous on your behalf, and it protects you from the inside out. That's the way to go. Yeah. Another one of these foods that you mentioned is kiwis oh, yeah. in this context. All right. Uh, look, um, kiwis you can find almost anywhere these days. Um, uh, they're a fruit from uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, fuzzy on the outside. By the way, this, most people don't think they can eat the skin of kiwi, but in fact, you can put the skin into a blender and you get a ton of the natural dietary fiber from the skin. It's really packed. But the flesh, which is either green or golden, um, uh, is sort of mildly sweet. The, the golden kiwi is a little bit sweeter, um, but uh, I like the green ones. Got these little dark seeds, wonderful source of uh, antioxidant activity uh, in kiwi. Um, it's got a ton of vitamin C. It's got it's packed with dietary fiber, and you know one kiwi a day uh, will actually protect your DNA again by about sixty percent. All right, and if you had to eat three kiwis for breakfast, for example, pretty easy to do. If you peel, you know, if you cut up the kiwi, put it in chunks, you could be eating that as a breakfast, as I have, um, basically that starts to build back damaged DNA. So one kind of is like a missile shield, prevents the damage from coming in by about 60%. That's just one kiwi a day, simple. Mm. But do you add three, any DNA that did get damaged, it'll start to repair it. It sends out the road crew to fill up the potholes. Amazing, amazing. Now, in this context, when we're talking about the DNA protection system, you also get into this conversation about methylation in the book as well. Let's talk about that. All right. So the interesting thing about DNA is that it's much more than a genetic code. A genetic code is kind of like software program. It's just like it's, a, it's an algorithm and it just kind of runs. Our DNA doesn't change, but what we can do is we can actually unlock and uncover certain parts of our DNA that we want to actually operate. On the other hand, we can also cover up some areas that we don't want to op that we don't want to operate in our DNA. That's the way our DNA actually is really controlled after we're born. So people are like, "Well, you can't change my genetics." True. However, at least not yet. However, what we can do is we can actually cover up parts of your DNA that are maybe not doing the things that we want them to do, and we can uncloak them when we when there's parts that we want them to actually do their thing. So uh, methylation is covering it up, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, it is part of what we call epigenetics. So, you know, a lot of people are talking about epigenetics now. Let me just explain that. Let me just sort of get people to see epigenetics is as simple as saying that, you know, you're, you're going to cover up certain parts of the crossword puzzle, or you're going to, or you're going to remove the, the, the uh, covering from certain parts of the crossword puzzle. So you can see either see more or see less. That's basically epigenetics. And it turns out the foods we eat can actually help us do that. So there are lots of epigenetic changes 
you know, uh, from all these health defense foods that we can actually eat, that what we want to do with body fat, like methylation actually blocks the process to make extra body fat. So when we actually methylate, we're covering up some of those crossword puzzle things. All right. You don't know if it's going to be six letters going uh, horizontally or three letters going down. You cover that up and your fat has a harder time growing. It's so fascinating. And it's all built in. It's all know? built in. Um, this is another quote from the book in this section. Uh, quote, a study by scientists at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology compared the DNA of 60 lean and 60 obese women who were between the age of 23 and 31 years old. They found there were 10 specific sites in the DNA that were more methylated, helpfully blocked, in people who were lean compared to those who were obese, unquote. Fascinating. Absolutely. And so that shows you this is kind of where we are with this research. It means that there are certain spots that are vulnerabilities that some people carry around that might predispose them to gain extra weight. And so if you block those vulnerable spots, uh, think about finger in the dike, all right? Just block those, all right? Then you, can, you actually might be able to tip the balance more in favor of a more healthy body type, body composition. You know what I would love to cover with you that I haven't really covered with anybody else is talking about some of the nutritional powerhouses found under the sea. All right, you've outlined so many remarkable foods in the book in relationship to metabolism, but I want to ask you about a few specific ones. Lobster. Let's talk about lobster. All right. I got to kind of like uh, explain how I got into seafood. First, when I was writing this book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, one of the things I wanted to do when it comes to sharing 150 different foods that research has shown with human studies that they can actually lo fight body fat and improve your metabolism. I didn't want to just have a laundry list of foods. I wanted to take my reader on a literal tour through the grocery store. So I wrote the chapter, the second part of my book, as if I was going, we were going to the grocery store, the reader and myself, and I invite you to hop into my grocery cart like you did with your mom's grocery cart when you were little and your mom's wheeling around. And I wanted to take you through the different sections of the grocery store, produce aisle. Let me kind of tell you what to put in the cart, just like your mom did. All right. And so that's what I do. What piece by piece, what to put in the cart in the produce section. We can talk about that. And then I wanted to actually take people through the beverage section, right? Because in a grocery store, you go into those aisles and you've got all the sodas, all the fruit juices, all the bottled waters, seltzers. I want to take people through there to see what you should choose um, or not choose, as the case may be. And also in the middle aisles, I took people through the forbidden middle aisles. You know, people say, shop the perimeter. I'm like, you know what? Again, this is like that black-white thinking in the health and wellness space. You know, let's not just discard that. Let's go right into the middle aisle. I wanted to be a little bit uh, contrarian, and I want to show you where the treasures are in the middle aisle. That's why I call it treasure hunt. You'll find the real gold compared to the fool's gold. So I take you to the middle aisle. Then the final section, um, my publisher basically said, be careful about writing about seafood. And I'm like, but that's part of the grocery store, right? I mean, and they're like, well, you know, a lot of people don't like seafood, so just be careful. Like it's, it's a turnoff for people. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? There are people that live along the tens of thousands of miles of coastline yeah. around the world that relish 
seafood. And I, I actually like seafood. So the, the fact of the matter is if you're somebody who says, yeah, I don't like fish, I don't like shellfish, I don't like seafood, I'll tell you right up, straight up front, it's because you haven't had it properly prepared yet. All right. When you taste really well prepared seafood, it's like you discovered your new favorite thing. All right. So what do most people think about? So I, so I wrote a whole chapter about this. And so this discoveries under the sea. First of all, you need to realize my background is in biotechnology, right? So people have been looking for Mother Nature's uh, uh, pharmacy with a, I guess you can't even say F because it's under sea farms, um, in sea cucumbers, in fish, in shellfish, and squid. Amazing discoveries that have been made. New cancer drugs are being discovered from the sea squirt. You can't even see the sea squirt. It's this tiny little thing that lives in the water. All right. So from where my background from, I said, let's go discover what could be good for the metabolism in the ocean. Well, boiling it down to two very simple categories, you know, um, that you might find in the seafood market, it's fish um, and shellfish. And then it's also seaweed. You can also get good stuff from seaweed. So again, because we know the healthy things that are, uh, we know that some of the molecules means that we can really do this. So what I did is I basically took first a look at the thing that everyone recognizes as healthy for you uh, in seafood. Oily fish, salmon, mackerel, sardines, anchovies, you know, the things that people go like, man, it's fishy. I don't like it, right? And so everybody knows, and salmon, even if you like it, you probably have had it so many times, you're like sick of salmon, all right? So what I did is I basically said, what else might be equivalent to salmon? And I was looking for other, other types of seafood that might have the same potency or the same effects. Amazingly, cod, which is not an oily fish, can also fight body fat because it has omega-3 fatty acids. Let me explain to you what, that, what I've just said. Uh, we know that oily fish, high fatty fish with lots of omega-3 fatty acids, is good for your metabolism, good for your heart, heart healthy, um, fights cancer. We also now know that cod, which is a not oily fish, it has some omega-3s, also can be very good for you in exactly the same ways. What that means is that we have underestimated the power of omega-3s. You don't need to have the oiliest fish. Even fish that has even some omega-3s at the level of cod is good. So what I did is I converted the cod levels omega-3 across all kinds of seafoods that are eaten in the Mediterranean and in Asia that are considered staple seafoods, delicious seafoods, sometimes exotic seafoods. I wanted to push the envelope. You know, when people tell me, don't do something, I'm like, all right, well, maybe that's the reason to actually really get into it. Uh-huh. I get into some really exotic different seafoods. But bottom line is that there is um, an absolute uh, uh, amazing cornucopia of seafoods that can actually fight body fat. Amazing, amazing. So we got cod. Uh, you talk about sea bass in the in the book, but I want to go back to lobster. Okay, this crustacean. Uh, all right. So, turns out that lobster actually contains omega three fatty acids. And by the way, you know omega three fatty acids originally come from plant based foods of the sea. They come from plankton and algae. Okay, that's where that's that's actually what makes the omega three. And pretty much everything else in the sea eats that, starting with the smaller organisms and all the way up to, you know, the, the big, uh, bigger fish on the food chain. Lobsters have omega-3s and they retain them actually in their meat. 
but their shell also has a bioactive called astaxanthin. Astaxanthin, which is also found in, in plankton uh, and in some seaweeds, also is another bioactive. So if you have lobster bisque, lobster soup, you make that by boiling the shells. It turns out that that red color that you get from bisque actually is caused by this natural bioactive dye called astaxanthin. All right? Shell, good for you. Meat, also good for you. So what I try to do is kind of convert the doses based on omega-3s that actually have had healthful effects for your metabolism. So cool. That astaxanthin, it's been found to be protective of the omega-3s That's as right. Well. They work so, hand in hand. Yeah. It's so... Now you've got this partnership, right? Yeah. So, you know, I do think that um, by and large, uh, plant-based foods are absolutely sort of the, the biggest category of foods that are healthful for our health defenses, for our metabolism, to help fight body fat, and so many other reasons for the, for the reasons that people have talked about before. But really an untapped area is this whole area of what's actually in our oceans, our sea, the sea. Yeah. There's one other I want to talk to you about. And I think this one is like people are really black or white about. Like okay. they're either for or against. All right, bring it on. And this one's oysters. All right. Now, a lot of people, I think the, the common association for people who are into oysters is like, this is like aphrodisiac vibes. You know, it's more so for that kind of thing. But for a lot of folks, I think that the on-ramp to trying oysters might not be attractive in the first place. So what are some of the, the, the benefits with oysters? All right. So I'm going to talk about what those benefits are, but I want to first demystify as somebody who likes to cook and who likes to explore food that oysters, uh, shucked oysters raw on the half shell with a mignonette sauce or something you might have on Valentine's Day, you know, with your sweetie pie. You know, like for, for, uh, that's not the only way to eat oysters. All right. Um, uh, you can actually cook oysters. You can, uh, uh, you can smoke oysters. There are so many different ways that you can actually use oysters, uh, for, to create delicious foods that don't think about just the, you know, uh, you know, a, a half a dozen or a dozen oysters uh, on ice, uh, shucked open. And you might not buy oysters in the shell to take home, to shuck in your kitchen. That's a lot of work and it takes a little bit of skill, but you can actually buy oysters that are pre-shucked, okay? And you can shuck also buy- the I'm sorry. <laughs> shuck up. That's shucked up, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the point is oysters are pretty versatile, much more versatile than we think. And, and that's the thing that I want to talk about is that it's good to eat oysters. Now, what do they, what do they have in them? Turns out that Let's, let's, let's address the aphrodisiac property first. Oysters are known to have a pretty high level of zinc. Zinc actually is connected to fertility. Zinc is connected to testosterone. And so the, you know, I think the longstanding um, connection between eating oysters and, uh, and, uh, and aphrodisiac properties is really due to the zinc. And there's, it's there. There's some zinc there. I think some of it's also mindset. You were gone on a date and you're having oysters. Both of them, you know, like what's coming. All right. <laughs> the uh, literally. Okay, keep it going. Keep it going. All right, we're we're getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going there. Uh, the the uh, the but but actually, other things that are in oysters are amazing. There's polysaccharides. There's natural polysaccharides that are actually found in oysters that actually can boost your immune system, which is pretty amazing. They're anti-inflammatory and they boost your T cells which is quite amazing. And in fact, you can even find those 
when you cook down oysters so they're caramelized, and when you know what you call that? You call that oyster sauce, which is a staple in Asian cooking. There right? you go. Yeah. Another way of having oysters that's not on a half shell. Uh, uh, so, and then oysters have all these other, oh, they also contain omega-3 fatty acids, lots of different ways uh, to get the benefits from oysters. Now, you just tied in the last thing that I wanted to definitely cover with you today in these five defense systems connected to metabolism as well, which is the immune system. And I don't think a lot of times we think about the immune system being connected or influential over our metabolic health or vice versa. So how is this connected? All right. Well, first of all, uh, our immune system, mostly in our gut, about 70% of our immune system is found inside our gut, in the walls of our gut, our intestines. So think of your intestines like a garden hose. If you cut that garden hose in half and you look down the cross section, you'll see in the wall of the garden hose, that's where 70% of our immune system lives. So not surprisingly, our gut microbiome actually speaks to our immune system, right? So our gut microbiome also connects, talks to our metabolism. And so here is where gut health, you know, which is a loose term that talks about a healthy ecosystem that our diet and lifestyle can actually have a lot of, of interaction with is connected to our immune system. But surprisingly, up to 20% of our immune systems also found in our body fat. So that's a big surprise, right? Like, remember I told you our fat's an organ, it produces hormones. Our fats also can houses stem cells to make more of itself, but maybe useful for other parts as well. Yeah. And now the new science out of our body fat and our metabolism tells us that actually our, our fat actually contains immunity as well. Now, when we develop extra body fat, and it becomes pro-inflammatory, and we derail our metabolism, our uh, ability for our fat to send out immune cells is completely compromised. And this is why we need to really protect ourselves against the harms of extra body fat. So again, you know, on a big picture level, all these correlations of bad chronic diseases that we struggle with in people who are overweight or obese, it starts to make perfect sense why that might be, we, because good, healthy levels of fat are perfectly fine, but excess body fat is really harmful. It can actually derail our immunity as well, it suppresses our immunity. Now, one of the things that I think is really, really important to, to think about, and this has to do with what we now know about extra body fat, one of the things that's most important for us to understand is how our normal metabolism is hardwired. And this is really the soul of my book, is really the fact that new science of the metabolism teaches us that all human beings are born to go through, run through four phases of metabolism throughout our entire life cycle, okay? So, and this, by the way, is a discovery that was made only two years ago. So it's so spanking new that, and it's changed everything we know about human metabolism, that the old textbooks are being ripped up and thrown out the window and the new ones haven't even been written yet. So this is research that is really, really, jaw-droppingly uh, important because it changes our understanding of ourselves. Our own nature has been changed through this discovery. So let me explain, and I'll tell you how body fat fits into it and then connect it back to immunity. So two years ago, there was a researcher named Herman Ponzer, okay, who worked with 90 colleagues. This is like a 90-plus research team, big research team, across 20 countries, global, all right, and they studied 6,000 people. That's a lot of people. 
in exactly the same way. They studied their metabolism and they studied people that were from two days old to 90 years old. That's the entire human lifespan. Think about how, how unusual that research project is designed. It's one of the most ambitious metabolism research studies ever undertaken in human history. And what's remarkable is they studied every individual from two days old to 90 years old in exactly the same way across 20 countries, you know, which is all, all awesome to me. What they did is they gave people a drink of water. It's the simplest thing that you could do, but they tweaked the water in a special way, the atoms of the water. Water's H2O. They tweaked the hydrogen H so that uh, a little bit, and they tweaked the oxygen O a little bit so that you can measure, you can measure it. Um, so when they drank the water, their body metabolized the hydrogen and the oxygen, and they can measure the metabolism in their breath, what you're exhaling. They can measure in the blood how hydrogen and oxygen got uh, manipulated, and they can also measure it in the urine. Standard research study. Again, 6,000 people, 20 countries, two days old to 90 years old, most ambitious uh, metabolism study ever undertaken in human history. And what do they find when they, when they looked at the output for what human metabolism is in the beginning? All over the map. Everyone's readings were different. There was no way of making any sense of it, just like you might expect, mm -hmm. right? Except we now live in the age of artificial intelligence and, and really supercomputing. So what they did is they developed an algorithm based on the size, the body size of the individual that they were studying, the two-day-old versus a 90-year-old. And they were able to, in this algorithm, subtract the impact on metabolism of excess body fat, the very thing we were talking about, all right? And when they removed the excess body fat from every individual, every data point, and what they found, from out of the sea of confusing result data, they found that every, every human went through four phases of metabolism. It was crystal clear. It was like uncloaking the statue of David, you know? It's just a lumpy thing over here. Nobody knows what's in it. You pull it out and you see crystal clear. Human beings are hardwired to go through four phases of metabolism from the time they were born till the, until the end of life. And here's basically what those stages of phases are. The first stage, phase one, is from when you're born all the way to your one-year-old. Your metabolism is going up like a, like a rocket ship to 50% above adult metabolism level. So babies are like firing up their engines big time. All right? Now, that's phase one, stage one. Second stage is from one year old to 20 years old. Metabolism is going from that high level, that elevated level, going down, 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 down. From one to 20 is decreasing. Now, think about what that means and how surprising that is. Right through the teenage years, adolescence, where kids are shooting up in their height, they're eating two dinners, they're bouncing off the wall with energy. Every parent goes, yeah, their metabolism must be going crazy. Not so. The truth of the matter is that between one years old and 20 years old, our metabolism is actually going down, down to adult levels. All right. But it's, it's going, it's heading downwards. That's the second stage. The third stage is from age 20 to age 60. Guess what? Metabolism is rock steady. It's hardwired not to change. It's a flat line. Our metabolism doesn't change, isn't designed to change when you have a, your first baby, when you actually hit menopause, when you get into your 40s and 50s and 60s. So it's not natural that we start gaining weight and our metabolism slows down in our middle ages. That's a gigantic eye-opener, a jaw-dropping. That's a mic drop, actually, from this research study. It changes how we understand how humans are designed 
Our bodies don't want to actually gain weight and be fat. Our energy doesn't want to go low. We are hardwired like a laptop with an operating system to be rock stable from 20 to 60. What that means, 60 can be the new 20 if we let our metabolism do its thing naturally. Now, the final stage from 60 to 90, last phase of life, our metabolism does decline slightly. All right. It goes down only 17% from 60 to 90. So with 90, you're only 17% of what you were when you were 60. But 90 also means that you're only 17% from when you were 20 years old. That means that aging, okay, doesn't have to be declining. It can, doesn't have to be decrepit. We decline a little bit, but we actually have the, uh, so now, so this is what happens when you remove the effect of excess body fat. You're, you're, this is what uh, our hardwiring is. Now, here's basically what's really surprising. When you add the effect of excess body fat back into the equation, remember I told you they removed it to find this, the, the statue of David. When you put it back in, you know what excess body fat does to your hardwired metabolism? It crushes it. When you add extra body fat, it crushes your metabolism All right, at every stage of the game. And so it's not that we're born with a slow metabolism, which is why we gain body fat and struggle with weight. It's that our behavior, our choices, our lifestyle, our psychology causes us to gain extra body fat because of those fuel tanks that get bigger and bigger and bigger and clone themselves and become inflammatory and compromise your immune system and all those other kind of things. All right. And that extra body fat crushes your metabolism. And what that means is that the power is in our hands at any stage of our life to try to uncloak and reveal and resurface our hardwired metabolism. To me, that is the mic drop of the new science of the metabolism. There's something we can do about it. It's deep. Amazing. Eat to beat your diet, Dr. William Lee. Thank you so much for putting this research together. And you know, in, in, in most importantly, in an engaging way, in a way that makes sense for everybody, no matter where your education level is, your level of enthusiasm, you're going to be enthused when you start to read this book because it becomes so approachable and attainable for all of us. And, you know, we're in the middle of multiple epidemics with our health as a species, but there are solutions and they're built on principles of logic and of food and also the secret sauce, the enjoyment of food along the way. Can you tell people where to pick up your book and to get more information from you? Well, anybody can learn about the continuous stream of information that I'm pumping out every single week. Come to my website. It's Dr. Dr. William Lee, L-I.com. I'm on social, uh, Dr. William, at Dr. William Lee. I really make it my mission to get, my, get new information out whenever I can in different contexts uh, that I share, but it's a free newsletter. I do master classes. Um, that people from around the world uh, come. It's really thrilling to me when I you know, do a masterclass and I ask where people are coming from and they're coming from Kenya and they're coming from the Philippines and they're coming from Denmark and they're coming across North America. Uh, and it's just really cool that we all share as humans this common interest in health and common interest in food. And of course, I teach these really deep dive masterclasses. Anybody who wants to really kind of get into it with me, um, I'm happy to bring you on my ship and, and, and co-pilot with you and show you actually how to get there. Amazing. Amazing. And everywhere books are sold, you can anywhere pick up books are Eat sold. to Beat Your Diet. Dr. William Lee, you're a living legend and just appreciate you so much. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Dr. William Lee, everybody. Part of our mission is to help demystify metabolism and take the process of metabolism out of this pithy little box that we've put it in as a culture. 
Metabolism is truly everything about human health. Every aspect of our bodies, every cell in our bodies is functioning through the action, the activities of metabolism. This includes our immune system, our immune cells. There's an entire field of immunometabolism studying how our immune cells themselves have their own metabolic processes and also how our immune system is deeply influenced by our overall metabolic health, our overall metabolism of our bodies. Because as we know, as we venture into a state of gaining an excessive amount of body fat and venturing into being overweight and obese, we know that our immune system is inherently going to suffer. And this has not been more clear than in our recent experience with COVID-19 and seeing, according to the CDC, and this was a huge meta-analysis published in July of 2021, and they were looking at over 800 U.S. hospitals and over 540,000 COVID-19 patients and finding that obesity is the number one risk factor for death from this particular virus, all right? Now, regardless of your perception of this virus, we have to understand that being in a state of obesity is inherently a risk factor for all manner of chronic and infectious diseases. It isn't just this one flavor of thing, but this is speaking to how important it is for us to improve the metabolic health of our citizens. Because again, with immunometabolism, we're understanding why is this an occurrence? Why is being in a state of obesity creating such a susceptibility to viral conditions like COVID-19? Part of this is actually highlighted in Dr. William Lee's new book. And he's sharing, actually, if we look at the contents of our fat cells themselves, then we understand that when we're in a state where we have a healthy body composition, about 5% of the contents of our fat cells are immune cells. Specifically, we're talking about macrophages. And they are critical because they help us to have adequate blood supply to our fat cells. They're also tasked with removing dead cells and helping with the cleaning of our cellular communities. And also, this is leaning into the conversation that what if we have too much of this activity happening? What can take place? And researchers at Columbia University performed fat biopsies in obese test subjects as well as lean people and compared their immune cells. They found that the macrophage content in an obese cell was a whopping 40% of all the cells make up. So it's no longer 5%, which is normal. Now 40% of the fat cells content is macrophages, these immune cells that are driven towards, again, kind of creating a process of inflammation in order to protect the body. But now that protection or that perceived protection and that system, that alarm system has now been heightened about eight times their normal level once we venture into a state of obesity. Now to take it a step further, now we have inflammatory activity. We have the macrophages, we have inflammatory cytokines kind of going nuts as we're creating and storing more and more fat. But on the other side, we have immune cells that are getting depressed in function. So we have the inflammatory temperature or dial or volume getting turned up in one area. But if we're talking about the activity of our T cells, if we're talking about the activity of our surveillance cells of our immune system and being able to recognize foreign invaders and to mount an appropriate 
response, those cells get suppressed when in the context of gaining excessive body fat. So as we're having this conversation today and this really important episode looking at our metabolic health and reducing our body fat and this thing that is kind of plaguing our society right now, we have to stop looking at it through this vanilla lens, this one size fits all, this one flavor of science, which is something more kind of driven towards vanity metrics, which that's cool. Nobody's wanting to look bad or to feel bad about our body makeup, but we have to give this desire more legs. That one thing, how's it been working out for us? Have we had a revolution in our health and in our body composition as a species? No, because we don't understand that this isn't just about vanity. This isn't just about our appearance. This is about taking the reins on our health overall because our metabolic health is obviously having a huge controlling interest in the performance of our immune system, in the performance of our cardiovascular system, in the performance of our nervous system and our brain health and our cognitive function. All of these things are intimately connected because everything about our bodies, human health, all of it is related to our metabolism. All of it is related to metabolic health. So when we're improving our metabolic health, we're improving everything about us. And that's what their mission really is. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. If you got a lot of value out of this, please share this out with your friends and family. Send this directly to them through the app that you're tuned in on. And of course, you could take a screenshot of this episode and share it on social media. Tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, I'm at The Model Health Show. And we've got some epic, world-class guests, powerful masterclasses coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.